Um, there is a lot of non-bank capital looking to uh, find opportunity. In fact, there's probably more capital in non-bank um, than what there is qualified deal flow. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 50 of the show. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? How are your projects going? I am well, and I'm pretty excited to reach the 50 episode milestone. So, thank you for listening in and making the show worthwhile. I feel like we've covered some really good topics so far. And there is still so much more I want to bring to you. So stay tuned for the next 50 shows. So today we are going to be talking finance with past guest Matthew Royal. He is going to give us a roundup of the current lending landscape and what is happening with development finance. We'll get to that in a moment. I don't have anything to report with my projects. We are still waiting to hear back from council about one project going to advertising and for their feedback on the scheme for my other project. So it's really just a holding pattern for now. You may recall in episode 48, where I spoke with Andy Hoyne about how to get 200 people lining up to buy stock in your next development project, that we offered a copy of Andy's beautiful book, The Place Economy, valued at 200 bucks, to anyone who could suggest a great case study of a project that had made a big difference in their local community. I did receive a number of examples from listeners, and Andy has selected a winner. So the winner is, drumroll please, Larry Lee, who sent in a great development project in Auckland, New Zealand, called Hobsonville Point. It is a significant redevelopment of an old Air Force base that is being slowly developed to provide more than 4,500 new homes of different types and price points. It was a great case study, and it looks really good. And I will put a link to the project's website, which is hobsonvillepoint.co.nz, in the show notes if you want to have a look at it. So congratulations, Larry. Enjoy the book. And thanks again to all the people who sent in suggestions. Just quickly, before we move on with the show, if you are interested in learning how to develop property safely and profitably, then email me, justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com to find out about the mentoring program that is available to listeners of the show. Okay, on to today's guest, finance expert Matthew Royal, who is also a past guest of the show. He featured in episode 28. In that episode, we talked about building up a pipeline of works and how banks assess risk, amongst other things. Matthew has a long association with development finance, and I wanted to speak with him about the current lending landscape and what developers are facing with getting finance for their projects as a lot has changed since our last chat. In this conversation, we discuss what's happening with the banks, how developers are still obtaining development funding, and some tips on how to manage the current credit conditions. So let's hear from Matthew. For those listeners who didn't hear our last conversation, which was about a year ago, can you just give us a quick background on yourself and what you do? Yeah, uh, backgrounds, property finance, uh, a little bit of project marketing, which is where I started off uh, my career doing some investment sales. Then um, did some uh, retail mortgages as a brokerage in a brokerage capacity, working in that same business. Uh, did a little bit of acquisition work as they transitioned into doing more of their own projects. Um, then progressively over the years, I got more and more interested in finance. Um, started my own finance brokerage business um, and um, then uh, progressively um, uh, that um, morphed into 
uh, me doing some more of my own uh, real estate investments and uh, probably trading um, in options on land and uh, putting sites together. And um, then uh, GFC came along, uh, decided that I should um, start a family and go and work for a bank. Uh, started in property finance um, uh, initially at MFS um, and then uh, worked in property finance at uh, Bankwest in the property finance unit there. And for the last seven years, I've uh, been with DFP, um, essentially DFP and the group. Um, uh, we're in debt capital advisory. Uh, we advise SME property developers to large uh, privately held developers to institutional uh, developers, um, how to structure their debt across their portfolio uh, to achieve various outcomes um, at a group level and obviously at an individual project level as well, um, up and down the capital structure from land bank debt to residual stock to corporate loan notes, uh, mezzanine finance, um, uh, core construction debt, senior debt, investment loans. Um, so, um, yeah, so we've been going in that about seven years. We've got an AFSL, wholesale AFSL, which we're um, progressively um, building. Uh, the funds and the management on that business are uh, still um, relatively small, but we've got some investments under our belt now, which is good, and uh, looking to expand upon that um, significantly over the next 12 months. Well, development finance and finance in general is always a topic of interest to developers, but I would say certainly in the last six months in Australia, it's gotten particularly interesting and even more of a focus for developers out there. Can you just give us, a, I guess, a quick snapshot of the, the current lending market and what you're seeing, what you're hearing and what you're feeling? Yeah, sure. Look, essentially, um, it's no secret that the banks are currently really only supporting their existing uh, top-tier clients, uh, largely just recycling the same amount of capital that they have to deploy into construction finance uh, into the same borrower pool. Uh, in other words, when a project finishes for mm -hmm. a top-tier client, um, they're happy to recycle that same amount of debt into their next project into uh, whatever part of the pipeline um, that that is. Uh, certainly they're um, uh, more conservative um, in terms of their lending guidelines uh, than they were um, at the peak of the uh, credit cycle, which is quite some time ago now. Um, Non-bank lenders have come in as a result. They're attracted by a big capital gap that's been left behind by the banks. Um, all sorts of non-bank lenders from large institutional um, superannuation funds offshore uh, being managed by various um, mortgage managers here in Australia to mortgage trusts local to high net worths, um, hedge funds operating out of Singapore and Hong Kong, um, international banks uh, to some extent are here, probably not like they were during the last uh, deteriorated part of the credit cycle, but certainly there are um, some ex significant investment banks that are doing uh, larger uh, facility limits of circa 60 mil north. Um, there is a lot of non-bank capital looking to uh, find opportunity. In fact, there's probably more capital in non-bank um, than what there is qualified deal flow. Um, 
So it's, it's um, relatively competitive um, for senior debt, uh, mayors, um, equity um, at the moment as a result of all that capital. Um, uh, the, the movement and the momentum in the whole industry has slowed, um, which is one of the reasons why there's not enough deal flow in the market. Pre-sales are slow on the way in because uh, sales rates are, are tough. Um, settlement rates are slow on the way out. Um, so you've got um, elongation happening for property developers at, at both ends um, of the spectrum, both um, trying to get a project out of the ground and, uh, and getting their capital and their profit out on the other end um, with their existing banks um, putting a squeeze on credit supply. So it's um, interesting times at the moment. And so is that a sign of market weakness or because of some structural changes like the availability of credit? Yeah, it's a bit of both. Um, certainly some markets where high-density construction uh, finance uh, has traditionally been written are the markets where there's been a bit of oversupply, uh, which is obviously just being naturally corrected at the moment. Uh, that oversupply is partly just purely uh, too much stock coming into the market as well as uh, investors predominantly having difficulty accessing uh, loans, especially on an interest-only basis. Uh, I think that's the main thing of late that's really slowed up the industry is um, credit growth into investment-only loans has, has, uh, has shrunk dramatically. Um, and there may be buyers um, out there, but the feedback I'm getting from, from my clients is that um, they can't convert them into a sale because there is a uh, concern they won't be able to get finance or, in fact, that they can't get a pre-approval for finance, uh, which is somewhat frustrating. So, um, so that's um, causing them, obviously, to look at reconfiguring, reconfiguring um, the mix in their projects uh, from largely uh, investor-grade stock uh, homogenous, you know, one and two beds to um, looking more at marketing and finding ways to uh, facilitate sales through first home buyers and reconfiguring the mix from uh, largely ones and twos to, in many cases, um, uh, bigger, more owner-occupied driven stock. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a combination from um, macro prudential um, pressure coming from APRA and from the government, obviously. Um, through to just pure fundamentals in some markets um, uh, being deteriorated. But that's probably all fairly interlinked uh, with each other. Um, yeah. And then what impact is that having on developers in terms of funding, in terms of approaching majors or acquiring land, uh, structuring their projects? What, what impact is that having or, and what, or what advice are you giving your clients well, certainly um, it's challenging at the moment. Um, if you're new to bank uh, at the moment, as if you're with a major bank, uh, it's extremely difficult um, to obtain finance uh, almost on any terms if you're pure new to bank. Um, on that basis, um, we have not written a senior bank loan with a major bank uh, for probably the last nine months. Um, so... Just about all of the new to bank lending we're doing at the moment is um, is with uh, private um, lenders, non banks, um, which um, uh, are having to be more flexible on pre sales. Um, the larger investment um, banks 
that are operating here in Australia are having to accept the fact that um, the developer will be looking to hold residual stock um, at the end. It's just a reality across their portfolio. So they're having to be flexible uh, with looking at now sensitizing pre-sales rates to assume that the developer is going to be able to access residual stock facilities at various LVRs um, and set up their pre-sale hurdles um, to suit based upon, obviously, the individual scenario. Uh, certainly, residual stock loans are something we're seeing a lot more of. We're writing a lot more of them, uh, advising our clients um, now on, uh, on that as a more of a matter of our daily business. Um, and there is a lot of capital that is happy to um, a lot of lenders that are happy to lend capital in that space. Um, so that's partly keeping the industry going at the moment, both on the working capital side for property developers, as well as getting projects out of the ground because there's generally an acceptance on larger projects, even smaller projects, that the pre-sales um, are going to be um, difficult to obtain within a reasonable time frame uh, if we're talking about 100% debt cover. Um, so we're seeing probably 50 to 60% to 80%, uh, depending upon what makes sense uh, in the local market, um, being able to be achieved, um, which then means you're back to maybe a 50 or 60% residual LVR um, on completion, uh, which is where a residual stock facility will come in and, and obviously refinance that, um, that debt out uh, in lieu of pre-sales. And that's, uh, that's just the reality at the moment. And so that sanitization, I think, did you call it, for your off-the-plan sales, is that returning back to more historic levels from the high rates that we've had over time or is it dropping back beyond that? Oh, look, I think the sales rate, the pre-sale hurdles, um, if that's what you're referring to, what, what are the traditional or historical pre-sale levels? As, as yeah, I mean, work? obviously we're coming off a pretty hot period of, you know, three to five years where everything was selling and selling quickly and selling at good prices to yeah. you know, something that we might be moving back to a more balanced market that maybe at more historic rates, or are we sort of lower than that? I think at the moment the reality is for the bank, so there's always there's two tiers of financing. Uh, there's obviously the bank and then there's non-bank. Um, bank at the moment, um, realistically, APRA is uh, encouraging strongly the bank's um, to uh, adopt uniform lending standards as far as pre-sales are concerned and the quality of those sales as well. Um, the qualifying criteria now for a pre-sale is, um, is uh, much more stringent in terms of the overall composition of the sales. Um, on that basis, it doesn't really matter what market you're in, how strong it is or how, uh, well, really how strong it is. There is a... Uh, a requirement that the banks have um, to be adopting no less than 100% of debt cover. Uh, and that's just, it doesn't even matter at what LVR, who you are as a developer, generally speaking, uh, what market you're in. Um, that's just the, the lending standards that are being demanded at the moment. Um, Non-bank uh, is always case by case. Um, I think... Um, non-bank lenders are willing to be more flexible um, and have a level of sophistication and understanding of markets where they can adopt 
and also pressure on them to get money out the door to be as flexible as they can in order to get a deal done, to get a loan away. Um, there's always going to be limits to that level of flexibility and sometimes that'll come down to, in most, most often, um, the size of the facility. Um, there's an ability for us to do no pre-sales uh, in strong markets, major metro markets, um, for smaller facilities, probably sub $10 million dollars. Once we get over $10 million, the number of um, options that are out there for no pre-sales starts thinning out uh, fairly quickly. Um, but as a general rule, we might be at 50% of debt cover for a non-bank lender um, over $10 million. Might be, it would be a rough sort of guideline. And that would be probably historically um, where we would have seen things in, in a normal balanced market. Um, I think... Other than APRA, um, putting pressure on the majors at the moment to be uniformly um, consistent with, with risk hurdles and lending standards, what will drive the banks to come back into the market is when the sales rates will return to where they were. Um, it just makes sense that if, the, if stock is selling quickly, there's less market risk. Um, ultimately, the risk on uh, from a lending perspective, is, is always going to be on sensitising the, um, the value of the sales on completion and how quickly you can sell them. Uh, the liquidity of the stock is ultimately what they're looking for. So markets where, you know, projects in Sydney were selling out on a weekend on launch, all those days are largely over and have been for some time. Um, you know, you'll, in those markets, you'll see probably the banks coming back to um, 60, 70 percent pre-sales debt cover, um, but at the moment, um, even if even if that was there at the moment, um, I would suggest that APRA is still going to have them uh, under significant pressure to be at no less than 100 percent debt cover. Um, but ultimately, the take-home message is: uh, market fundamentals uh, will drive sales rate, and sales rate will um, will drive the. Uh, the debt cover um, guidelines from the banks in, in a normal market. All right, a couple of questions for you. Uh, when do you see sales rates improving or do you have a view on that? And then the other one is the market fundamentals, your view on those. Yeah, look, I think um, there's always markets within markets. Um, I think at the moment... Um, to address market fundamentals, um, the current level of credit supply uh, is having a big impact on the market. Um, the credit supply in, into, for example, the investment stock uh, is extremely limited, uh, especially on an interest-only basis. So I think projects that are heavily focused towards investment sales uh, will struggle um, significantly. Um, which is the reason why we're seeing developers reposition their stock and reconfigure the mix um, into more owner-occupied stock, which are looking at downsizes that obviously more cash buyers or are um, coming into a sale with limited debt. Um, and they're often coming out of a bigger uh, house in established locations where there's been capital appreciation um, and there's, you know, reasonable amount of equity. Um, projects which are geared towards retirees 
generally speaking, in most markets are going quite well. The sales rates are very strong. Um, manufactured housing estates, for example, are, um, we're advising and financing a number of those at the moment in various locations and the sales rates um, on those projects are, are very strong and, and so are the competing, the competing projects. Um, so there's two examples of two different markets, the investment sales and um, downsizers retirees. Um, they're performing very differently at the moment. Um, markets like uh, Newcastle, Wollongong, Port Macquarie um, and various uh, Geelong is perhaps another one um, which is obviously uh, more related to Melbourne. The markets where there is affordability, uh, where there's um, been significant spend on infrastructure to improve access, um, where the demographic is um, retirees that are, that are moving towards established, affordable locations. Uh, I think they're the markets that are doing quite well. The same markets are doing well for an affordability, pure affordability um, as well. Uh, we're seeing big interstate migration into Brisbane um, at the moment where the employment base is relatively sound, the cost of living is significantly less, uh, the quality of living is significantly better. Um, and it's encouraging people out of Sydney especially um, to look to markets where there is um, simply a better quality of life and, and uh, a lower cost of living, i.e. Um, much less debt. Um, so, um, so, yeah, hope, hopefully that answers your question. So, look, realistically, um, there's so many markets um, to talk about. Um, I think... To answer maybe just very broadly, um, Sydney, I think it's well documented that Sydney's um, certainly reached its peak um, and has probably um, had a number of consistent quarters of negative growth now where the investment um, story is has deteriorated significantly, um, which, uh, is being ref you know, which then just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy after that. I think the outer regions of, Mel of Sydney on an affordable price point on a rail line will probably continue to do reasonably well. Um, I think Brisbane um, in 18 months and moving forward, if you've got stock settling out in 18 months' time and you can buy sites well at the moment in well-located areas, uh, makes sense. I think the middle ring of Brisbane the outer ring of Brisbane makes sense because of the population growth uh, that's looking for affordability and still close to amenity and transport. Uh, I think Melbourne, outer ring of Melbourne, uh, land subs are still doing exceedingly well because there's still an affordable price point that can be met um, in Melbourne. Uh, migration levels are still strong into Melbourne. Um, I think the apartment market in Melbourne, uh, generally speaking, um, will be focused more on downsizers, larger stock, um, much more in the in uh, focused on three bedrooms, um, and are just a, a better quality design. And probably developers that can respond to uh, owner occupiers' um, more individual demands for design and for um, fixtures and finishes. Um, and, you know, some level of alterations to um, the layout um, potentially as well could, could do quite well. Um, yeah. 
Okay. And so what is tripping developers up at the moment from a finance perspective? Hmm. So that's a big question. I think the, the property developers at the moment um, are probably struggling um, with as much their, their marketing strategy um, and the positioning of their stock and the level of pre-sales that they need um, from their banks and the level of equity that they need to tip in for them to and their finance and also their market their upfront marketing costs are so significant that they are um, struggling to get a project to to work and for it to be viable. Um, they're probably not looking enough at options that are available in the non-bank space, uh, where there are so many options now in the non-bank space at, at all levels of loan amounts for them to probably really understand what are the different financing options that are out there for them that make sense, um, both on a level of pre-sales that they need to be able to get away, the amount of residual stock debt that is available for them um, on completion to be able to hold some stock in, in, the, um, in the absence of upfront sales. Um, or even the achievement of pre-sales during the course of construction. So they've really got a, I think, uh, develop a much better understanding of the positioning of the project, the uh, marketing and sales strategy that sits within the development strategy overall, the financing strategy as it relates to the marketing um, and the sales strategy, which obviously relates to the configuration and the mix that's within the project. So they've probably just got to take a look at the overall development strategy and figure out which one of their projects are most viable and how do I go about um, delivering a project on a highest and best use and a highest and best strategy by coordinating all of those things together. Um, and the developers that are... Um, uh, are still doing reasonably well. Um, so I don't think it's just a financing strategy that's really got to be looked at. I think it's it's the, it's encompassing all of those, all the various things together. And is that because people or developers are just looking at funding through the lens of price? It's sort of holding them back from exploring some of these other options? Yeah, look, potentially. Look, um, we, we do get some clients and some inquiry that, that is caught up on price. Um, and perhaps, you know, they, they equate price to their level of, well, number one, they don't want to pay any, no one wants to pay any more than what they have to. Uh, but ultimately they've got, um, they, they, there's, they've got to be realistic with respect to the pricing that's in the market at the moment. Um, unfortunately, some, some people, um, are early in the process of obtaining finance and they're still stuck on where the banks were 18 months to two years ago, and they might not have been out seeking finance for some time. Um, the, the process then that they've got to go through to realistically come to terms with where the banks are actually at is sometimes a six-month application process, which can be quite frustrating with their existing bank or other banks. 
eventually they get to a point where they realize that um, they're not going to be able to do it through the banks. And then they obviously um, uh, have to go into the non-bank space and then come to terms with the various pricing models um, that are in the market. Um, and sometimes it can be difficult for them to come to terms with uh, with that. Um, that that is that is a challenge, and also that the the level of pre-sales um, that still need to be met in some cases uh, with non-bank lenders, depending upon what, le what level of price that they're after. So I, I'm not sure if that answers you, your um, uh, your question very well, but yeah, it does. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And then what about people who are not getting funding? Not project. getting funding. Well, other well, projects. Ultimately, of yeah. Ultimately, any viable project um, can be well. Virtually any viable project where the fundamentals are sound can be financed. It ultimately comes down to the the overall cost of the sales that have to be met and the overall cost of um, of the finance. Um, but a viable project, um, in the vast majority of cases, should be financed and can be financed. Um, it, pre it pretty much comes down to viability um, and obviously then the client's expectations with, uh, with what they'll accept uh, with respect to pricing and uh, the level of risk hurdles that they need to meet. Okay. Well, I wanted to ask your view on the impact that these changes in lending standards will be having on the bank's bottom line because their profits are going to drop. And also government uh, revenue taking in the form of stamp duty and all the other various taxes is going to drop. So do you see this as a, a short-term cyclical change um, or are these standards going to be around for three, four, five years or do you see light on the horizon in 12, 18 months yeah, well, look, everything's at, at the moment we're going through um, a rationing of credit supply, which is a, a normal part of um, the overall, um, you know, cycle. Every, everything's um, cyclical. Uh, and at the moment, uh, we're just going through a, a period of um, deteriorated credit, which will uh, limit supply into the near future and population growth um, being one of the most important indicators of um, uh, likelihood of. Um, capital uh, improvement and increases in demand uh, are all forecasted to keep going north. I think at 11 o'clock tonight, we're apparently hitting 25 million people in Australia, uh, which is uh, decades ahead of what was um, uh, forecast to be only um, 10, 15 years ago. Um, I think we're now going to be sitting at a migration growth of 190,000 people that's going to be capped um, per annum as far as um, um, immigration is concerned. Um, I think population growth, natural population growth is uh, is continuing to um, put pressure on the major um, on the major cities and I can't see that sort of um, diminishing anytime soon. So with credit growth we're going to see decreased supply um, and a with decreased supply, with increased population growth, essentially we'll see a shortage of stock come into the market um, probably in circa 18 months' time, uh, which will put significant pressure on um, um, prices in terms of then uh, 
we'll see escalating prices and sales rates return, which when which then will mean that that will encourage new credit growth because borrowers will be more borrow more um, credit worthy, uh, with less risk, and around we go again. Um, and I th- that's what I believe will happen. Um, and if it's not eighteen months, then it's it's going to be only a certain number of um, further point in time before it happens. Um, yeah, it can't, it can't not happen. Unless population growth um, slows or starts to become negative, um, then that process will just play out. Well, the, the federal government can't afford to let Australia's population growth slide because we've got all these baby boomers who are going to be moving from taxpayers to uh, tax consumers or public spending consumers as they move into their older age and start using all the hospital and other pension systems if someone's got to pay for those uh pay for those services absolutely well um i think we're probably lucky in that um uh, a lot of the wealth that's um contained in um the property market is is uh, skewed towards probably uh, a reasonable number of those aging baby boomers um, and as they um as they downsize and as they obviously are going to be spending their super um or, you know, being that percentage of the population that's not going to be on the pension or on welfare, um, there's a reasonable amount of wealth that's going to be unlocked um, and is being unlocked by um, by those people obviously starting to draw on super and and um, uh, and taking the capital growth that's in their portfolio and spending it on travel and spending it on um, downsizing and new construction as uh, as they're buying into retirement villages and manufactured housing estates and apartments um, generally. Um, I've lived in apartment buildings before and uh, more owner-occupied um, style apartment buildings and I would say that the average age of people in those um, apartment buildings would have been probably 55. Um, and that's, you know, potentially... Um, uh, for those wealthy self-funded retirees um, that are downsizing may may um, also help um, stimulate demand, which is what we're seeing um, at the moment in in the apartment projects that are um, that are being successful. There's a, a healthy mix of um, of design that's that's encouraging depth of market, but both some investment grade some first home buyer but much more um, towards that um, towards that downsizer market so hopefully so there's going to be some of that transfer of wealth um, as a result of the the baby boomers uh, with money coming into the market before too long mm-hmm. all right well I know that you've got uh, somewhere you need to get to so what's your top tip for developers out there to help them take their developing to the next level Look, I think, um, well, from a financing perspective, uh, there um, there is such a plethora of uh, non-bank capital in the market at the moment, uh, to the point where uh, you know, we have a capital partners list in the business of about two hundred different capital providers, all with about three or four or more products of their own. Um, so the number of products that are out there is, you know, there's several hundred products that can be deployed into a developer's portfolio to help free up equity, to finance construction, to provide working capital, to um, 
take on residual debt on completion of a project in lieu of pre-sales, finance projects with no pre-sales, uh, from MES to PREF equity to corporate equity, um, is really just um, uh, obviously it's self, some self-promotion here, but it doesn't change the fact that it's true, is, is speak to some advisors like us that can actually advise them not only on an individual project um, and an individual part of the capital stroke of the capital structure of an individual project, um, but all the various parts of all the parts of the capital structure of each project and the phase of each project, whether it be land settlement through to residual stock, and then assess that on then on a group basis. So if there might be three or four or more projects, um, that that same level of sophistication and flexibility can be applied um, across the whole group. Um, and that's where people, uh, developers that have got some equity, um, have got viable projects, can still deliver projects into the market. Um, and that, that would be, that's what I would encourage um, more developers to do. Um, and just take on the fact that uh, cost of debt in non-bank um, is simply more. Uh, but ultimately, it comes down to: Does a developer want to be able to complete on their pipeline and and do five or six projects um, in the next two years um, and have a higher cost of debt, um, or do they want to do one or two projects and have a cheaper cost of debt? Um, ultimately, for a viable project, um, the cost of debt, uh, even in non-bank, is is only. You know, it's relatively minor um, in the grand scheme um, of the overall profit and returns. Um, so it's probably just my main tip would be just to get a bit smarter um, about that. And so is it also a case of factoring in a slightly higher cost of uh, finance and also some extra time to getting that in place at the start? Well, I think... Um, Certainly, in relation to timing, you know, we can uh, in non-bank the level of uh, responsiveness is very fast. Um, you know, the level of the timeframes uh, to get a either a land bank uh, facility approved or construction debt is is um, is probably a couple of weeks at the most. Um, so it's not really so much. The earlier that they get the approvals in place, the better, um, obviously. Um, but the process can play out fairly quickly. Um, from a cost of finance perspective, um, you know, it's ultimately going to be um, higher than where the banks are at at the moment. Um, and it's, you know, if you're looking at circa 65 on comp uh, for a, a decent project in a decent location uh, and you're at 50% debt cover, the cost of debt um, on a first mortgage basis will be probably on average around 11%. Um, that's, and fees will be sitting around 1.5% as an establishment fee. Um, if a project is still showing reasonably strong returns um, and sound returns after that, then the project can still be completed, profit can still be made, and they can, con you know, they can continue to move forward um, versus, um, you know, trying to get it done through a bank at all up 6% and a 1% establishment fee uh, and potentially take six months to get a finance approval in place, if at all. Um, so it's, it's really just up to the developer to do their numbers and figure out if it's worth it for themselves.
All right. Well, I'm conscious of uh, your time, so we'll have to leave it there. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us with a bit of with a finance update. Where can people find out more about you or about uh, DFP, Matthew? Yeah. So, look, our website is um, uh, dfpartners.com.au, um, or my email address is m-r-o-y-a-l at dfpartners.com.au Alright, thanks for meeting uh, thanks for speaking with thanks. me again today Matthew, hope we can have a, another chat about finance at some stage in the near future and be talking about uh, better lending conditions Good stuff, thanks Justin, good to talk with you Okay, there you go an update on how things are looking out there in funding land It certainly sounds like things have turned in terms of availability of credit and many developers are looking at alternatives to simple senior debt funding from the banks. Here are a couple of things I took away from my chat with Matthew. One, banks aren't lending to new clients. So if you don't have an existing relationship with a major bank, it seems you may have trouble securing a loan with them. This has meant that many developers are exploring alternative funding options and residual stock loans, which may come at a higher cost than what they had originally planned for in their feasibilities. So my advice is to start discovering what options and costs you may need to include in your next project feasibility. Two, look at your marketing, sales and finance strategies. With the current lending landscape, how are you going to tackle the existing conditions? Do you need to review how you are planning on marketing your properties? Is your sales campaign right for where the market is headed? And how accurate is your funding strategy? As the market moves, it's prudent to monitor and update your project plan. Three, seek early input from your trusted advisors. As the funding sands seem to be frequently shifting, it would be wise to speak with your advisors about what's happening, how your project may be viewed by lenders, and how you plan on securing funding to get your project delivered. Early and ongoing discussions can avoid nasty surprises later, which may slow down your development and eat into your bottom line. All right, we are almost done for another episode. If you enjoyed that chat with Matthew Royal, then I suggest going back to our past discussion in episode 28 and listen out for the many tips and ideas that Matthew had on how to grow your development business, including this gem of advice, which is still highly relevant today. But from a banker's perspective, when you see the developer identifying that risk, quantifying the risk, and then attaching a budget within the funding structure to further reduce that risk, it's gold. There is plenty of other great tips in that episode, so go back and take a listen. And if you are interested in learning how to develop property, then please send me an email, justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com. Find out more. Remember, all the past episodes of the show can be found at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com. So until next time, may all your funding applications be approved. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.